Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. All of our podcasts are free, and you can find ad-free versions available to subscribers to The Athletic, where you'll find plenty of great articles, even if there's no football being played. New subscribers can get access completely free to The Athletic for 90 days by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Let me introduce my two ever-present guests on Talk of the Devils, Laurie Whitwell, The Athletic right for Manchester United. Hello, how are you? I'm good, Carl. You okay? Yeah, I'm not too bad. How's quarantine treating you? Uh, I'm not bad. As we record this, it's my birthday, so I'm just a oh, little bit... Happy birthday. Thank you. Also with us is United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Andy Mitten. Hi, Carl. Happy birthday. Hope you're okay. I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you? All right. Busy, writing, doing everything I normally do except uh, leaving the house and watching football matches and travelling to football matches. I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening will be able to relate to this. Uh, I hear through the magic of podcasting and uh, through the grapevine that Andy, you and Laurie have been speaking to a former Manchester United defender today. Yeah, we were speaking to Mikel Silvestra and he was really good. Um, The most open I've heard him talking and Played a lot of games for Manchester United. He was there for nine years playing for great football teams. And I know there were times when not every fan had him down as their favourite player. I can remember my own dad getting pretty frustrated with him at times. But no, nah, he, he had a cracking career. He played at huge clubs. And he's a good talker. It was a really, really nice. I don't know what you felt, Laurie, talking to him. I thought he was decent. I thought it was fascinating. I mean, um, like you, obviously, you, you watch him as a player, um, and, and he, he, he sort of stuck around for a long time without necessarily being the guy that you'd, you'd say, okay, he's first on the team sheet at all. But number of games that he played was incredible, and the the, the players that he played with, you know, from the likes of you know coming in after the treble season to Ronaldo to Rooney, uh, then on you know into later years. Van Persie Arsenal when he when he switched over as well and obviously then came to United so he had some really great stories about loads of different characters and was very open as you say Fergie hairdryer he played for Inter against United um, in 99 in that San Siro game so really fascinating character and, and, and very interesting as well well I think we've given plenty of spoilers and enough teasers enough let's go straight into that interview right now Giggs he's found Luis Sahar now Mikel Silvest and Mikel Silvest has found the bottom corner it's a terrific finish from the Manchester United defender. We're pleased to welcome a very special guest onto the podcast today. It's former Manchester United and France defender Mikel Silvestre. We should also point out that he played for Rennes, Inter, Arsenal and Werder Bremen, as well as 40 times for France. Mikel, welcome to the podcast. You spent nine years at Old Trafford under Sir Alex Ferguson. Can you tell us what you're up to at the moment? Um, it's been two years and a half since I've back in the UK after going abroad. Um, so I'm in London and I'm working for an agency. So managing players. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, it's a difficult time for the players at the moment, but uh, trying to, to keep in touch and, uh, and keep them uh, focused and happy. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging for everyone, I guess. I've been uh, also a sporting director in Rennes um, like four and a half years ago. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I'm not shy of go- on going on adventures, I would say. How does that actually affect your work at the moment, the coronavirus sort of crisis? Have you got players um, sort of calling you up asking what's going on with their contracts or, or with transfers or just with football in general? So what's, what's the time been like for you at the moment? I think the the major part that is affected is not being able to 
go and visit visit the players and their families because normally we would go to the games and see them after the game or spend some time during the week having lunch or, or dinner but the rest we keep in contact so in a way that's the only major factor that changes obviously the rest is like everybody we are concerned about we don't know where we're going we don't know in which which direction this is gonna and if the league will be finished or not we have players in different different leagues or different uh problems uh different regulations on contracts and especially on on whether or not they're having a cut on the salary so at the moment we have a lot of questions to to answer but most of the job is done by the club because we are there to support the player so we follow we advise but uh, the unions also are playing a big part so we just keep uh, keep track of everything that has that is happening in the in the different different countries and I guess your playing career, I mean, so vast and, and, and you won pretty much everything that you could win. It's such a, a useful tool for, for the players that you've got. Um, you played under two of the greatest managers um, to have, have been in British football in Sir Alex and Arsene Wenger. Could you just talk us a little bit about the difference between those two or even the similarities? I would go to the similarities because if we go to differences, we're going to be there for a few hours. <laughs> 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 now, the, the passion for the game really is something that uh, is something else. Um, they they wouldn't be able to live without football. In fact, they, they have so much knowledge about the game that they, they would know about every other leagues uh, and games that uh, are being played. Uh, so that's that's the number one factor because to to last that long in such a high profile club with so much pressure, you need to to love the game so much that uh, it comes it it is it is a priority in your life. You sacrifice your life for the club. They did that so both of them had this particularity for sure. And uh, the rest is uh, be able to uh, reconstruct squad. You know, because when you stay for that long again, players come and go and you have to not reinvent yourself, but you have to, to build again. And and when when you compete for the, the league and for the trophies, it's it's, uh, it's it's so much pressure that you have to face that they were not immune to it because it's it's a driving factor. And they they really loved it, I guess, because otherwise you 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 stand still and you don't progress. So um, both of them have put Manchester United and Arsenal on a different different uh, trajectory. They've succeeded. The length of time that you were at United for is is remarkable, really. When you look at it, I mean, I think three hundred twenty six starts, which is the sixteenth most of any player under Alex Ferguson and given how long he managed for United that's quite quite an achievement I wondered how you managed to maintain that longevity I mean did you have to you, you talk about managers and reinventing their squads did you have to adapt as the as the era went on yeah well for me um, also I've been injured like I've had cruciate I've had uh, uh, shoulder injuries so I wish I'd played more, but anyway, I'm just being greedy. <laughs> <laughs> the change at United were mainly uh, due to the fact that Sir Alex brought on different first-team coach, and he really gave them uh, a lot of responsibilities in terms of managing the, the training, 
managing the, the players as, as well on a daily basis. So uh, that was uh, some fresh air. So you have to prove again to the next man in charge or the second in charge that you are worth it and uh, you you belong to, to United and you want to establish yourself at the in the starting eleven. So, you know, Steve McLaren, Carlos Queiroz, uh, Walter Smith at some point as well, uh, Jim Ryan, um, Mick Phelan, uh, Rene Müllerstein. So all these coaches, they brought on a lot of new ideas and every time it's good for the players to yeah, to be challenged and to, to change the routine. So I think that's a big part of uh, Sir Alex's longevity and success at United. His capacity to give these people a real uh, place within, the, within the, the building of the squad. Can I take you back to the start of March 99? And you caused a problem for Sir Alex Ferguson because you were at Inter and he didn't know what side that they were going to play. And he said, Inter didn't seem sure about the left side. Sylvester was there sometimes, then Milanese, then Aaron Winter. You didn't play in the game um, at Old Trafford against Manchester United, but you did play in the second leg at, at San Siro. Huge game, Champions League. What was it like to play against that team who'd ultimately go on to win the treble? Well, I came to, to Old Trafford that was injured, so... Um, I didn't play the, the first leg. So the second leg, I was aware of of uh, the, the strengths of the, the team and, uh, and obviously I would have to face uh, backs. But yeah, the uh, the magnitude of the game was was huge. It was my first season in a Champions League and San Siro was packed. And I think we had enough, um, enough power uh, firepower up front and even chances during that second leg to to at least draw and take the game to extra time but uh, we 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 got we were unlucky that night uh, so to, I think overall over the next the two the two legs I think United deserve to to go through there's actually a great passage in Sir Alex Ferguson's autobiography on, on that game, Mikhail. You probably not read it, but um, he talks about Diego Simeone and how animated he was, sort of kicking the walls in the, in the tunnel on the way out, sort of really invigorating his, uh, his teammates. So um, I don't know if that sticks in your mind at all, but um, it, it's certainly quite a, a visceral passage in the autobiography. But um, I, I just wondered how much do you think Sir Alex... Um, use that match to, to then go and sign you um, that summer and weren't Liverpool also involved in, in trying to get you and so how did he sort of persuade you that United were the place for you? When I look back at this squad and the, the starting eleven, yeah it was uh, pretty impressive for a 20, 21 year old to be to be there to compete at that level so uh, of course I think it was part of Sir Alex's decision to, to come in and try to sign me Diego was a very animated uh, player, not only not only for this type of games for training as well. You know that was that was one of his characteristics. Because let let's be frank, he wasn't the best football player around. Yeah? Mm. <laughs> you can say but, that we couldn't we couldn't say that. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. So Jaroui uh, tried to to sign me because he was my coach uh, at uh, youth level with French national team. We won the. Uh, uh, European Championship under 18 in France with Thierry Henry, David Trezeguet, Nicolas Anelka, William Gallas. And um, so we knew each other. We had uh, another campaign together in Malaysia for the uh, 
World Cup under 20. And, uh, but Liverpool wasn't the same, you know, at that time. So he called me and he said, look, you're going to be disputing the left-back position with the Phil Bab. Uh, so, yeah, if you fancy coming, then uh, we would like to, to sign you. So he wasn't really persuasive. And then a few days later, Sir Alex called me. I was also with the national team uh, under 21s in Ukraine and, and Albania, two games. And uh, he, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a different story. So and easy easy to make a choice. United winning the trouble, and uh, for me to to make that decision was pretty simple. You didn't join Liverpool, but your debut was a a low key debut. Liverpool <laughs> away with Manchester United. <laughs> Were you aware of, of of how big a deal it was to go to there? I mean, this is a team they'd been they'd been champions of England in nineteen ninety. They're not far from Manchester. Did you know how big this rivalry was? What was it like in the United dressing room? No, I I I wasn't aware of that the uh, the, yeah, the magnitude of his game. You know, because you have to remember that time there is no Twitter, no Instagram, I mean, so, no social media. Okay, and the only English football we've been watching lately. In those days where, because uh, Eric Cantona came to England and David Ginola, but before that, it was all about Serie A on French TV. So English football is not really uh, uh, advertised in, in France. So when I joined United, yeah, I know about Liverpool, but I don't know how big it is, how big the, rival, the rivalry is. But when I step on the pitch at Anfield, yeah, <laughs> then I know <laughs> straight away. So yeah, I sign on. Uh, Friday morning and Saturday Saturday lunchtime kickoff. We are there playing playing against Liverpool. Crazy debut, yeah. And beating Liverpool three two. It's important that we get that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beating Liverpool, yeah. Great, great debut for me. Um, the in seventy two hours uh, was in in Albania and I ended up Anfield playing that game, winning. And uh, at the end of it, I mean, the doping room with the Steven Gerrard, Jung. Stevie G, he wasn't happy, I can tell you that. <laughs> Could you tell then that he was going to have the career that he, he, he went on to have? I was impressed by his age when I checked the the team sheet and I saw his age. I was like, wow, he's already into this fight. And I, can, I just could see and smell his determination. So after that, it was great to face him all the time. This Athletic Podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing wants and needs. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from a selection of over 100 brands, including established names and up and coming designers. What's next is you try on everything at home, style it with other items in your wardrobe and then you simply pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, it's try before you buy. Delivery and returns are free for both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. So to get started with Stitch Fix today, and to support our podcast, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash theathletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co.uk forward slash athletic and a few years later you you played in another kind of ding dong match against Real Madrid 2003 
I was in the stands actually that night as a fan and I had I dismissed Ronaldo, the original Brazilian Ronaldo, as being past it and, and, and not able to, to do it anymore. And then obviously he goes and scores a hat-trick uh, and he gets applauded off the pitch. I just wondered what your memories of that were because did you play with Ronaldo at Inter as well? And, and obviously in that 99 game, he'd he'd been injured, I think, hadn't he? And it, and it kind of, they'd had to sort of hope hope that he, he could play a full part. But what, what yeah, what are your recollections of, of that period? Yeah, I wasn't really pleased to face Roni uh, at Real Madrid because I knew what, what type of damage he could do to a defense. Oh, gosh, we have to face him. Hopefully, he won't be. Uh, he won't have a good day, but he did. He did, and yeah, everybody applauded, and everybody was a stand stand up ovation for him. And yeah, that gave me goosebumps again because all Trafford's uh, standing for him was and clapping was just a great. Great moment, you know. Even if you are part of the losing team and you want to win, it's it's a great moment to witness. We all love football for these moments. Anyway, you played in huge, huge games in your time at United. Another one was the the battle battle of the buffet, the game which ended Arsenal's unbeaten run. What actually happened post match, and and how motivated were you to 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 stop Arsenal in the tracks? Because United and Arsenal, they were the two main teams at the time. Yeah, it was very important for us to uh, to stop them because otherwise it would have been the 50 games in a row and beaten. So it was extra motivation. I mean, Arsenal was uh, the biggest fixture um, in that in that season and in those years. So it was important for us. I remember Phil Neville uh, having the, the best game of his life. And then we ended up stopping them uh, <laughs> and the, the tunnel incident <laughs> was just madness because you know how tight. I mean, now it's different, but you remember how tight was that that corridor leading to uh, to our dressing room, and before you had to to pass uh, the visitors' dressing room, and yeah, flying flying pizza on top of Sir Alex's suit. So that was that was just a crazy and hectic game. I wouldn't say the best football, but because we can there was so much tension that uh, I think yeah it wasn't particularly a, a good game. Did you know who'd thrown the pizza? Because recently Cesc Fabregas uh, admitted to it. I mean I've I've heard from the French guys in the national team I knew it was Cesc. And then when I <laughs> when, so when I joined Arsenal I said I know it's you. <laughs> Don't lie to me <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I knew it was you, yeah, so he was laughing about it. But yeah, uh, at the time, I can tell you that Alex wasn't laughing and we were we were mad as well. Such, oh, wow. uh, yeah. It was a foolish, like, uh, foolish moment from, from Cess. But you remember, he was 18, I think, at the time. Yeah. So he was an 18-year-old Frank Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way. I mean, there was there's quite a few you know ding dongs with with Arsenal throughout the years. I mean, the, the other one that that springs to mind is uh, you know sort of later on that season you've got the well sorry earlier on a couple of seasons before that you had the the nil nil when Ruud van Nistelrooy was surrounded by all the, the players and we actually had Laurent on a, a different podcast uh, earlier this week and he was saying that um, he, he was casting aspersions against United in that game for for not you know coming coming to them and kind of being a bit more ballsy about it. Um, um, but then there was the, the, the two-two at Highbury when Sir Alex ran on the pitch and celebrated, and obviously that was the, the one that ended up meaning that, that United won the title that season. What, what are your, yeah, two different matches there? I suppose. What, what are your recollections of, of them both? Uh, so 
It's yeah, it's the preparation of those games is is something that you really enjoy during that week. Yeah, the build up, you know, the intensity in training is a bit higher. The tackles are flying a bit higher. Uh, we prepare ourselves uh, with much more concentration. It's just natural. It's not something that we are being told, or uh, it's just natural. So this is something that you have to imagine uh, with the Roy Keane, with Paul Scholes, with Nicky Bird. These guys. Flying tackles, you know. I'm not. I'm not scared. Also, of putting a tackle or two in training. So, the strikers have to to jump during that week, and then the games. I mean, the uh, yeah, the 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 Ruud van Nistelrooy penalty with Martin Keon uh, almost uh, playing. Uh, I don't know how do you call it, but catch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 something like you. Where, where are we? You know, and and then you watch the replay after the game, it's, and you're like, "This is really happening, or it did happen." Um, but yeah, you try as a player, you try, you know, to stay focused on the game, and especially me, I'm, you know, I wasn't an outspoken guy on the on the field, so um, I stayed focused, and um, yeah, try to go through the the ninety minutes with the the best the best I could. Were you aware of any animosity with with Van Nistelrooy there? Though it seemed it seemed to us as people watching it from the outside, it's very surprising that the Arsenal players would react like that. But subsequently, we've kind of heard little bits about you know why they kind of reacted like that. But was was that known amongst the no, players? No, until today, I don't I don't really know why they were. I think it well, I think it's uh, they they called him a, a cheat. I think yeah uh, yeah, but you know it's uh, it's really something that in England you can't. As a striker, you can't faint of falling because, yeah, or cheat simply. It's something that, uh, and I think Rude had to learn learned about this the hard way with Arsenal for sure. You talked about tunnels. Can I take you to a different tunnel, the one at Highbury, uh, <laughs> with with uh, <laughs> Mr. Roy Keane? I can remember one thing about our last chat, and you described Roy Keane as the perfect captain. So you're lining up. In the tunnel at Highbury, 2005, Manchester United are going to be Arsenal 4-2. And Roy Keane, who's not the biggest man in the world, he offered out uh, your compatriot, Patrick Vieira, who looks like he can look after himself. Did you know that any of this was happening? What was the mood like in that tunnel? Were the team vengeful? Did you just think Roy Keane's completely crazy? Again, it's a small tunnel, so players are short, like almost like shoulder against shoulder. And I think Patrick is Patrick went past Gary, and he said, "You stop talking to to no, you have a big mouth, <laughs> you have a big mouth." But when you are with your team, so I want to take you on one v one outside, me and you, something like this, you know. <laughs> so so Raikin as a good captain defended Gary and. Uh, he said, "You want to take on my player? Take, take, take it up to me, you know." And that, but there was also some French uh, vocabulary within the conversation, you know. <laughs> Who would win in a fight in a boxing ring between Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira? I know the the good mates and respectful now. Yeah, maybe because we did some boxing, maybe Roy would have an advantage. We would have a fitness coach who came, uh, I think, my second, uh, third season at United. And he was good at uh, lifting and also boxing. It's so, Mike Clegg. Mike Clegg was the guy. Yeah, Mike Clegg. Yeah, Mike Clegg. So with Mike, we would do uh, some boxing. So uh, Roy was pretty good at it. Uh, Giggsy, 
and then Wayne. Um, yeah, so a lot of the players would enjoy, you know, making like a one-minute round, two, three rounds after training. It's good for upper body and coordination. And yeah, if you have more steam to to burn, you can win. <laughs> <laughs> take take my. Well, Roy, Roy Keane used to drive to Mike's gym in private after training so that he could box. So Roy was definitely well prepared should it have come on top with Patrick. I think you called that decision right. <laughs> oh, there you go. We've seen with Wayne that obviously his his family's well steeped in, in boxing sort of traditions, and I think we've seen himself in a, in a kitchen once <laughs> <laughs> enjoying yeah. a bit of boxing action. But um, what was it like seeing? Because you were at a really interesting stage at United, a really interesting stage with with Wayne coming through, with Cristiano Ronaldo coming through. Could you sense that those two players would would turn into becoming, you know? world-class you know and, and record-setting players for United yeah straight straight away you can you can see the qualities outstanding especially game decisions because the quality like technical physical ability um, you you can develop or you have they have already a, a very good level but really in that game when you pass from from youth to to the pros and Wayne did this at Everton, and Cristiano also started really well at 17, I think. He started playing for, for Sporting. It's really the decision-making that these guys would be would show so much maturity. And then the drive and determination brought them to, to the top, top level, like world-class level. What are your thoughts on, on Paul Pogba and United's current defenders and... Luke Shaw, who plays in your position on, on the defenders at Manchester United, before football stopped, they had a really good run. 11 games unbeaten, nine clean sheets, I think. Do you think that things are coming together? And while Paul Pogba, your compatriot, wasn't a part of that, you think he's got an important role to play in the future of Manchester United? The fact that Paul wasn't involved, uh, just uh, another example of one player doesn't make the team, you know. And that was always the case at United. We've had crucial games where we would miss the so-called talisman, you know, the, the the best player, and we would still perform. So United always has uh, a good enough squad and the uh, starting eleven to uh, to get the result without the top player. So obviously, yeah, Paul is is being missed because he can bring a lot to the team, and most of us. Uh, wish that he could he could do that on a more regular basis, but that's it. Uh, that's it at the moment, um, and we have to to wait and see. But uh, doesn't look like his head is is at United anymore. I mean, I saw him uh, before the uh, before the lockdown, and he looked happy. You know, everybody is behaving like normal with him, and he's part of United. So if he was to stay, then uh, I don't think there would be an issue. I just hope that um, we would see the best out of him, you know. But because he should be at his peak right now, regarding his age and his experience with uh, with United, with France, and um, yeah, that would that would be nice to see him uh, in uh, in the midfield with uh, Bruno Fernandes. Can I just ask you, Mikhail? You, you saw um, Paul what, at Carrington, was it? Like, have you are you involved with United in that way, or was it just a, a flying visit? No, it was just a flying visit to to see uh, to see some training and coaches at the youth level, and obviously after I watched the first team. So, 
So I was going to say, do you, you obviously you know Solskjaer and and, and you know from your playing days. So you know it's it's, it's, it's it seems like he's got an open door policy for former players that he's been with. You know, obviously Roy's been in, Rio's been in. Um, seems like a good, Patrice has been in. Yeah, we we mates. You know, I only played 181 <laughs> games. With, uh, Ole, Just a so. few, then. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> so yeah, we know each other really well. I mean, you lasted so long at United and 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 won everything. Did you ever get the Fergie hairdryer? Yeah, yeah, I've had it uh, early on. I think Southampton. I thought maybe it's the. I don't know. Maybe it's after the Liverpool game. I don't know how long after, but yeah, I got it. I got it. I didn't know about it, so I was just. Oh, it's another manager <laughs> yelling at me. It's no, no different, <laughs> you know. Oh really? It wasn't. It wasn't but, anything particularly. But my English wasn't uh, good, and my uh, Mancunian or and Scottish was really bad. So what I understood is that if you do that again, you can fuck back to France, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what had you done can you remember or was it just uh yeah i remember oh yeah <laughs> clearly i i uh, intercepted the pass uh for the striker uh so i was playing left back and i picked up the ball in the uh, center part of the field and i don't know for for what reason but i carried on going to the right and i lost possession and they scored, and I think we drew that game. Uh, and yeah, he just yeah hammered me after the game. So I was like, "Oh my god!" Well, you obviously listened because because you didn't you didn't fuck back off to France, did you? You stayed for a long time. So yeah, I stayed, I stayed, I sticked around. Um, well, listen, thanks so much for your time, Mikael. You're welcome. Thanks, Mikael. Thanks. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash man you and pay the postage of $4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Athletics podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Korea, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to beer52.com forward slash manu to get your free case. And don't forget right now, Talk With The Devils listeners get two free extra beers. Gentlemen, let's go straight into what we've been working on in the athletic this week. Laurie, you've just written a fascinating piece about uh, Manchester United's owners and what they intend to do in regards to um, the corona suspended break in football. Yeah, so obviously um, the club's decision to furlough non-playing staff has been a hot topic this week. Obviously, uh, Daniel Levy set the hair running really with um, quite a provocative statement that, that made the issue toxic, according to quite a few people within the game. And United really, the, the point of the piece, I mean, they announced it 
pretty much yesterday, uh, clearly. But the point of the piece was that actually United never really countenanced, um, you know, furloughing non-playing staff. The decision was kind of made definitively last week and communicated internally and it came direct from the Glazers. And the point being is that, you know, United have the cash to, to, to keep paying these these, these guys. Um, so really from a moral, moral and ethical point of view, they don't need the, the government um, support. And then also, I suppose from a brand point of view, you know, it, it makes sense. We've, we've looked at the hammering that Liverpool got for, you know, furloughing um, you know their staff, and obviously they've subsequently done a reversal on that. So I think United were, were, were quite cute and, and, and realised that the potential for, for criticism that would come their way if they decided to take up this this um, sort of regulation, which, which you know some people might say, well, actually they're entitled to because people you like messers, um, you know your various um, ticket office staff, whoever you know don't actually need to come into the office and, and, and isn't much work for them to do at the moment. So really, furloughing is, is a fair enough option. But United are actually saying no. We'll pay full staff. Uh, f- we'll pay full time staff the full wage. If those that can't work, we'll encourage them to um, help out with NHS and um, and perhaps volunteer. You know, to, to organisations that are trying to help throughout this crisis. Um, and then also um, that they're paying. You know, uh, non. Uh, full-time staff you know uh, their usual wage as well you know it's up to June the first people that would come in um, specifically for match days um, so I think it's a, a sort of just a, the right thing to do really um, and, and sort of credit to them um, sort of within the piece also there's a little bit about the players and the fact that they haven't been asked to take deferrals again not needed from United's point of view even though the Premier League announced a kind of uniform approach that they'd like to take instead they're discussing how they can contribute to, uh, to charity uh, in, in a big way um, and I'm pretty sure that there's something will be announced in, in due course on that. Yeah, fascinating piece. I can't wait to read it some more. Andy, you've been working on United's Youth Academy. Yeah, I did a big piece for The Athletic where I spoke to lots of people behind the scenes and off the record because um, sometimes people are reluctant to go on the record and they can speak more freely off the record. And what I wanted to, to to explain to readers was what's going on behind the scenes with Manchester United youth system because five years ago I wrote a very critical piece um, which was very well sourced from just highlighting the problems United had been left behind by Chelsea by Manchester City and and I had concerned people coming up to me saying you've got to highlight this this is a big problem and when I wrote that piece I went on a pre-season tour to America and I thought, I'm going to get sticky. I thought, everyone's going to have daggers in for me. And it was quite interesting. A number of people who came up to me made sure no one was looking and said, thanks for writing that. It was, you know, 99% right. And I'm like, right, which bit was wrong? But, you know, <laughs> people who've been at the club, you'd all know for a long, long time. And it's to the club's credit that investment has been in, increased fourfold into the youth system. The youth team were in the FA Youth Cup semi-finals. They were about to play Chelsea before the lockdown. There's some really, really good young players. United spent nearly £10 million on a 16-year-old last July. There's not really great teams just yet. I'm not saying that the, the next Busby Babes are coming through or the next Class of 92, but I mentioned a lot of names in that, that piece that I learned from. Uh, I learned about um, players who were coming through and they're not all going to make it, but I sense more optimism with United Youth System now than than at any point, certainly in the post-Ferguson era. And even the last few years of the post-Fergie era, it was starting to slip. So it's quite an optimistic piece and it was it was quite nice to write it because I was the first one to criticise it when things were going wrong. Hope springs eternal from Manchester United. Um Tell me what else you're working on right now, Andy. 
last time I was talking to you, we were talking about United We Stand and how you had some big, big plans. How are we with the magazine now? Yeah, I think I told you I'd spent £3,100 on stamps. That buys you a lot of stamps, although not as many because the Royal <laughs> Mail keep hammering up their prices. It costs us nearly three quid to send a fanzine to Ireland these days, which uh, which annoys me. So we, we, we've done a fanzine. It's being printed at the moment. We're giving free copies out to over 70s United fans and also to frontline health workers. We've got we've had a really nice response to that. People writing in saying that they usually buy the mag at the ground or you know the, the nurses that working in I don't know Swansea, Salford, um, people who, who listen to this podcast as well. So it's nice to get feedback like that. But we need people to buy it. We've got print bills, stamp bills, writer bills, all sorts of bills and. We need people to buy it. It's going to be out on the 14th. And because you can't get it at the ground, you're probably best ordering it by PayPal. Or just go to our website, uwsonline.com, or PayPal us £3.99 to our web address, which is email address, uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk. hope that's not too long-winded, but it has been quite complicated, if I'm honest, <laughs> getting one out. you know, People are saying, is it going to be on sale in newsagents? It is. In some, normal subscribers will get their copies. Digital copies will be absolutely fine. But uh, providing the Royal Mail carry on delivering, we're all set to go and do a massive mail out um, as soon as the mag arrives from the printers. Andy, for, for, as a public service announcement, where on earth is the best place to buy stamps right now? Well, I could, I could tell you far too much about this, right? <laughs> and here's what happens, right? At the start of April each year, Royal Mail put the prices up by about 10%. So people were saying to me, why don't you buy loads of stamps? Because they're still valid after the price rise, but they're onto it. They stop your stockpiling stamps. Where, where'd you get them from? You order them from the Royal Mail. They ask you lots of difficult questions. What's this for? I'm like, look, I just want to give you money. I just want to buy loads of stamps. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that that's how it's done. Um, we, we buy envelopes that have been pre-stamped, but then we have to buy individual stamps as well. And yes, we do have someone licking all of these stamps. And no, they've not got a virus. You're going to be absolutely <laughs> fine. And they're sent out in good faith. You might have to wait a little bit longer because the Royal Mail's not up to 100% speed at the moment. So please don't go kicking off with us that you've not received your mag as, as one or two do each month before it's been printed. We're not miracle workers. We're trying our best. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me for this podcast. It's been really, really good talking to you and also hearing about Mikel Sylvester. Laurie, have a great week. Cheers, Carl. You too. Have a, have, have a great birthday. Thank you very much. Andy, always a pleasure talking to you. Cheers, lads. Enjoyed it. And listener, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talk of the Devils podcast. A Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week.